You're listening to a Curry Mile podcast. Deadly. The Black Yard is a podcast produced by the Curry Mail. Grab a cuppa, kick off your shoes, and join me, Kirk Page, Naomi Morin, and Luke Carroll in the Black Yard for a candid conversation about everything. We acknowledge Bundjalung country and the Wijibal Waibal land upon which our officers sit. We acknowledge and pay our respects to our ancestors and elders, past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. The Koori Mail. Knowledge. Culture. Country. Connection. Jingiwala and welcome to episode two of the Blackyard podcast. Today we'll be having a yarn about the COVID crisis and the joys and the challenges of homeschooling. We'll also touch on navigating the responsibilities when it comes to creative pursuits and also have a yarn about our deadly athletes at the Tokyo Olympics. Naomi and Luke, it's lovely to have you here. Jingiwala, hello everyone. Hope everybody is well. Welcome to the Blackyard. Yum, everybody. Welcome back. And uh, it's great to have you listening to us once again. Today, I uh, wanted to talk about the impact of COVID and how today, actually, there was 900 cases in New South Wales. And so I just wanted to open up the conversation talking about that. And there's lots of other things inside of that, how we've been impacted personally mm-hmm. and also how we're being impacted in the communities across the country, but especially in New South Wales. So, yeah, all of the challenge that we've been facing with the COVID restrictions and the lockdowns, I, um, I know that there's a thing called homeschooling. Yes. That's, that's been happening. Um, Naomi. <laughs> it's been an interesting few weeks, to say the least. It and sure has. I hear this. I know. And I know that you and I have kind of had a bit of a, bit of a yarn about it over the last week. Uh, Luke, just checking in on each other to see how we're travelling with our jarjums and and how the whole homeschooling thing has been. And I mean, look, I'm only homeschooling one child. She's she's eight, my, my stepdaughter. Um, she's in grade three. And I tell you, it has been a bit of a challenge. I mean, look, we've had some <laughs> really great days, uh, but we've also had some meltdowns. I can't imagine having, you know, more than one more than one child at home to homeschool. So definitely feeling for the parents who, who have to do it with a number of, of children. Um, but it has been an interesting couple of weeks. We've pushed through. Uh, but, you know, like you said, Kirk, it's just that whole, the reality of, um, you know, this is life now. Yeah. And what are some of the challenges? Like, what does the day look like? So do you, you're at the table at mm. nine or like, how does that <laughs> How do you sort of get to the table and open up the computer? I think the first thing for me was being realistic about what I could do in terms of balancing um, or deciding to balance working from home and homeschooling. So for me, it was like, you know what, Um, I need to give her my full attention. 
uh, because we've also got a two-year-old who um, isn't liking that I'm giving her my full attention as well. So just kind of, you know, dealing with him being really clingy and and needy, which is fair enough and I get it. Um, But also he's excited that mum's home as well. So um, for me, it was like, you know what, I'm just going to take some leave days and, and give my full attention to her and focus on on getting her through these next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, the day starts with just like any other day, any other school day, you know, jump up, change your clothes, uh, you know, let's let's get ready, breakfast, and let's sit at the table and get ready for, for you know, class. Um, look, I think she's loving it because it's totally informal. It's not in that school environment. We know that some of our, you know, jarjams do struggle with that at times. Uh, I think... It's it's more of a challenge for the parents than it yeah. is for the. <laughs> I was going to say than it is for the student or for the child because they're loving it because things are you know kind of done you know well in our case sometimes backwards, uh, we really don't know what we're doing half the time, um, but you know we're we're getting there and I think uh, that's that's the most important thing is just trying to push through. How have you been finding it, Lou? Yeah, not too bad, actually. And I want to give a shout-out to everyone uh, around the state, around the country, first and foremost, who listened to Blackyard for our second app, and um, in particular, the mob in Victoria and, mm. of course, where we are in New South Wales, who are we're in deep lockdown. And I'm in Sydney, which is in a, even more of a, a deeper lockdown. Mm. I just want to give a shout-out to everybody, all the mob out there listening, and I hope you're well and your mental health is well. Your mental state is, is, is nice and healthy. In these strange times, um, homeschoolings for me, um, I've loved it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just glad though, uh, my little fella, he's seven, Enzo, and he's in year two. I'm just glad he's not in year nine because I wouldn't have a clue <laughs> what they're learning these days for year 10 or high school. Um, but uh, it's nice and easy at this stage. I, and I'm lucky too, he, he's a good boy. My day usually starts off with him wanting to start the day playing Fortnite with his friends. <laughs> and course. so yeah. <laughs> so through that, I mean, that, that's the sort of connection they've been able to keep his friends through Fortnite, the game. Um, you know, they get the headset on and they can chat to their friends. Mm. So I like to start the day to try to keep it as, you know, the, keep the uh, continuity of what a school day is. So, you know, when they, they arrive at school, usually they have a little play. So I'll, I'll let him have about, you know, 30 minutes on, on, on the Xbox mm. playing Fortnite. Then we'll get into schoolwork. And I usually it's, you know, where there's a, there's an app called Seesaw, which you know the teachers oh, yes, upload their work onto that. Seesaw, yep. Yes, indeed. So that's where the teachers upload uh, the day's planning, schoolwork, and you know there's usually a year reading for you two anyway. It's reading, maths, English, uh, a bit of science. And it's good because they can that... send messages to and from their teacher as well. Yeah, exactly right, Nay. They certainly can, and so it's, it's great connection. I remember when um, when Layla was. When Layla was in lockdown last time, and we found all these messages that she, she was having the biggest yarns with her teacher, <laughs> and, we, and we had to tell her, you know, bub, like it's good that you're keeping in touch with your teacher, but you know, you might want to just slow your roll on the yarns there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we well, on the app for uh, Enzo School class class actually. Uh, there's a young little girl there that just comments on every single little thing it's just Bless. i can only imagine what i can only imagine what the teacher's thinking every yeah. time there's a message pops up <laughs> god but it's so cute yeah but, uh, it is yeah so i'll try to keep them you know the, the, the continuity of the day um and then you know we'll, st- we'll, cr- we'll do one little subject 
Then we'll break for crunch and sip, which is a little break where I have like a little snack and a drink. Then we'll jump into another subject, have recess. Okay, uh, you got it down, day. Pat, brother. I need to oh, take, some, yeah. take some tips from you. I'm all over the shop. Yeah, I, I, that's that's what a normal a good day is. There can be bad days. Yeah. Um. So that's that's the Monday through the Thursday, and on the Fridays they have a catch up day. So whatever isn't done throughout the week, they can catch up and do that. And once they get that done, they've got the most of the day, rest of the day free. So mm. it's tough though too. I want to get him outside and you know active, and but it's just you know the restrictions here in Sydney, and you can't travel five k's from. From your house. Yeah, um, we're, in, we're in the same boat up here, brother. And I think that's the hardest thing is, is you know, how do we explain to the kids that they can't go to the park or, you know, we go across the road to the netball courts and have a bit of a, you know, play around with them there. I mean, you know, we're lucky we've got a huge backyard and they're, they're always outside, you know, playing there. We've, Mind you, we've started a uh, vegetable and herb garden. And if anybody knows me, I am so not a green thumb, but I'm getting there. <laughs> And, you know, I'm learning to appreciate these these little moments that have come along, you know, given the situation is spending the time with the kids, you know, slowing down a bit, but also, you know, doing things with them that I otherwise, you know, either wouldn't have time to do or, you know, wouldn't be interested in doing. But, you know, they're loving that um, we've got a little veggie garden there to look after. Yeah, that's sweet. I wanted to say, like, big respect to both of you because you're sharing about your experience about homeschooling. My children are being raised by their mum. So my mm. my daughters, one lives in Perth and one lives in Sydney. So I am not having that experience. <laughs> I'm finding it hard just to pull myself up out of the bed mm. to get to work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the impact is real. It's um, Totally. There's something about having those restrictions or I think just in general, we just don't like being told what to do, mm. Mm. whether that's from the government a partner or a parent. <laughs> I just think it's innately, we, we just don't respond well to being told what to do and how to live our lives. So it's well, a very also, challenging time for everyone. Yeah. And I think it totally comes down to the type of person that you are. So when you're in the creative mm. space, like we all are, working in the arts, uh, working in media, uh, it's not just because we're always on the go. Um, but it's because of the content that we're creating, the freedoms to do that, our, our freedom to express ourselves creatively. And so when we're pushed out of our everyday life in terms of our work mm. and what we can and can't do or what's being held back from us, and particularly in, in, in the cases with both of you, uh, you know, having your work taken away from you during this time, I can't imagine how some people are really feeling about that and really struggling, you know, with mm. that, especially have, in the arts, yeah. Yeah, I have a um, my good friend in Sydney who is one of the mums of my eldest daughter. Mm. She's She teaches, she's a performer and a choreographer. Mm. And you forget that there's, you know, there's this tactile exchange, whether it's being face-to-face, say you're in a, a rehearsal for a show and you're in the space with each other or you're developing choreography, you're kind of in the space with each other mm. and there's this contact and, and connect that happens. So when that's... And that's how, that's where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens, yeah. right? So when that's changed, it's quite difficult. I know, Luke, you've, there was some, there was a show earlier in the year that you guys were in rehearsal and that got stopped because of COVID. I know that was it at Belvoir Street? Yeah, yeah. So um, we rehearsed, we were halfway through rehearsals in July. 
And then we were told that uh, the season wouldn't go ahead. So it was pretty shattering at the time. But we were still allowed to, to finish the rehearsal period uh, end of until the end of July. And then had to step away from the project until well, – it's been postponed until February next year. So, mm. But I was going back to back to another gig down in Melbourne, a Melbourne Theatre Company gig, oh, wow. um, which is now being cancelled full – it's just been cancelled because uh, two of the actors, myself and another actor, were coming from Sydney and we were um, – Denied uh, an exemption, so wow. they just decided to to scrap it all mm. all together. And they've already planned next season's shows, so that can't go on next year. So, if anything, it'll go on in twenty twenty three. And I don't know if I'm going to be available. You know, it's just all up in the air. So I, I've lost, uh, you know, about four months' work. And it's wow. just I'm one of but I'm one of many stories. You Absolutely. know, I mean, you have yeah, you know, it's just happening right across the arts. It's just devastated the industry. Um. It really is. Yeah. There is some good news in, in our uh, one of our our last edition. There, uh, there's. Do you know Megan Megan Wilding? Yes, indeed. Yes, Megan very well. Camilla Roy, great actress, actress, great actor, writer. Mm. Uh, she's just been awarded uh, the Griffin Award, which is a it's a national competition which celebrates the yeah, sort of outstanding play or performance, um, and it's across the board. So it's a sort of open competition, but she's just won for her new work game set match, which is really exciting. So there are great things happening. Mm. It would be great to chat with her actually down the, down the track, but, um, just in terms of, you know, what, what's happening across the board and, and, you know, things that are being created, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to kind of segue over into, you know, as artists or writers or people, you know, leadership in leadership roles. How, when we're either guiding or creating, what sort of keeps you centered in terms of, you know, mm. we, we have to, you know, in our roles, we kind of walk this pathway where we have to be respectful, whether that's telling stories that might be cultural stories or whether it's working with people in a cultural context. What are some of the things that you think about Luke, perhaps. If I just well, for me, it's, all, it's yeah, yeah. Well, um, the first thing that pops to mind, I did a, a film in two thousand and one over in Adelaide called Australian Rules, mm. which is now now available on Netflix. You mob <laughs> again, <laughs> <laughs> and um, little segue there. You like that? No, that's deadly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we it was written by a white man about an Aboriginal an Aboriginal story. Uh, it's about a white kid. Who befriend his best friends are black here, but it was based on actual events that happened in South Australia, and that included the death of an Aboriginal teenager. Mm. And I was playing that, I was portraying that role, which I had previously no idea that it was based on events. You know, I'm a young bloke from Sydney. I just got this lead role in a film. I'm stoked. I'm heading to Adelaide. I'm going to be in a movie. Mm. So I had no background about what protocols had been sort of taken. And um, followed. Mm. Uh, I don't think there was much talk back in the early two thousands about that within the film industry, film and television industry. Mm. But it's but certainly from that experience, uh, well, what happened was we we arrived and Point Pierce, a mob South Australian mob listening, um, Point Pierce, an Aboriginal community north of Adelaide, and that's where the story sort of based around. Uh, the young fellow was from Point Pierce who passed away and was shot. Um, anyway, so. 
and we went up there and we, we we read the this was two days after arriving in Adelaide and we went up there and spoke to the community and, and re- started reading the script out so they knew what the film was about and it was pretty confronting you know the um mm. the community turned basically on the producer and the director who were both white men and myself and Lisa Flanagan the actor who yeah. is also she's from Point Pierce so mobs from Point Pierce pretty confronting and we started questioning what we were doing here with mm. this. We didn't know there's going to be this backlash. We had no idea about it. So um, we changed a few things within the script that made them happy and made sure that, you know, the protocols were were followed. But after that experience, I think it was sort of like a, a kick up the bum for the industry to say, look, if we're dealing with, you know, Aboriginal issues, Aboriginal uh, issues, that there are protocols that need to be set and followed and mm. guidelines, that, especially when it's a white man or white person telling a black story or, you know, um, mm. Yeah, the, the, so I think we know that you got to you got to tread very lightly and carefully when you're dealing with that. Yeah, and it's I guess it's a a point of view thing too, isn't it? Mm. We also come across it quite often across the whole art sector. I think whether it's the visual arts, mm. the performing arts, where things can be questioned, and it's I think it's a it's sometimes it can be a very tricky <laughs> tricky space. Oh, it's very tricky, brother, and it's more prevalent. You see it more now. Like uh, I saw a post on Instagram yesterday about a curator and talking about, um, you know, artwork that's been copied from down south that's uh, from an artist mm. up north. And, and back in the day, you wouldn't see that. But with social media now, it's becoming more prevalent. You know, the, everyone's point of view is getting across. Mm. And it's making you think twice about, okay, what's what's right and what's wrong, mm. what you got to question, how you – how you then move forward. That's right. And carefully. It, it's so important though, and it, as you mentioned, Kirk, just around well, what is it that, that grounds you or centres you in your work? And I think, you know, uh, Luke, uh, you know, spoke about that with his experience is, is making sure first and foremost that things are done in the most appropriate way and respectful way before we even move forward with with a project or move forward in our work is is that making sure that that is at the centre and that's what grounds us or that's the foundations of the work that we do is everything that we do, you know, we have to make sure there's cultural integrity um, at the forefront and along the way it's, it's then our responsibility to educate people uh, about that. Unfortunately, you know, we are still educating people about that. Um, but, you know... You know, as you, as you mentioned, Luke, we're still seeing people speaking out and calling out people who um, who aren't doing the right thing, and uh, you know, who have, I guess, um, no no respect or, or no acknowledgement of of what should be right. Often, say for instance, if it is a creation process or you're developing a new idea, mm. that sometimes well, I'm, I've been having this experience lately, mm. where uh, someone might want to program the work or have a date, a finished date to go, okay, mm. when is the project complete? So when can we program it in our theatre or when can we, you know, have a look at that script? And I think when it comes to uh, making work that has a cultural element, mm. that it takes Needs time. time. Absolutely. You know, yep. you're pushing back in a way like you, you want to get your work on the, you know, through the development stages onto the stage. But I think what's a bigger, more important thing for me is, is that you take the time and, you know, you're making sure that you're doing it for the right reason. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's my experience. Because anyway. it has to sit with you. Mm. It 100%. absolutely has to sit with you before it sits with our community or before it's received by anybody else is how is this project going to be received by you as the, the creator or the person that's involved in creating what yeah. people are seeing or hearing or feeling at that time. And, and you as the artist too. Like you're, yeah. you're the one going back to, to community. You're the one going back to the mob. You have more to lose than anybody. So... Well, that's right. And and like you said, our mob are going to call people out about it. I mean, you know, I've kind of had this experience the past few weeks about, um, you know, a particular um, artist um, Mm. that, you know, has continually, um, you know, and blatantly uh, appropriating Aboriginal artwork. Um, This person identifies as an Indigenous person, but... Um, their artwork certainly isn't associated with um, his ancestry or his heritage that he claims. Um, And it's, you know, it's really frustrating, especially when you know that it's public knowledge that this person's doing the wrong thing. And a lot of um, other artists who may not have a platform quite as as high or as, um, uh, I guess, you know, popular as him, uh, are kind of, you know, sitting back and going, you know, this is really unfair and 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 I think uh, what is fair is that blackfellas are able to call it out and that they are allowed to call it out uh, because we have that cultural responsibility to make people accountable when they're not doing the wrong when they're not doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah most definitely. And I think you know, mob no mob. You know, totally. if you're from a community, people know them, right? As you know, and if you if you don't know where you come from, okay, fair enough. You know, there's. The reasons why there's mob out there who are just finding out they're Aboriginal, mm, or whatever. Mm. But but the mob have to. If you don't, if you know you're from a community, but you don't know anyone from that community, you go into that community and you make those connections. Because mm. if you don't, then you're either very stupid or very brave. Maybe they're pro- probably the same thing. If you, if you don't, <laughs> but then if you don't do that and then continue to do and represent the way you're representing or misrepresenting, mm. that's a pretty dangerous ground you're treading there. Yeah, there's, and mob will always call you out. Yeah, you know? and there's a lot of la- like you know, like you said, there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of layers to it. Uh, going back to what you know you were saying, Kirk, is taking that time. Anything that we do, we've got to take time to unpack it all. And and I think that uh, relates to identity as well. But hey, that's probably another topic for for another podcast. I reckon it, it's a very <laughs> it's a very complex it's a very complex conversation. And I think, yeah, it's probably for another time, but, you know, we, we're all moving at our own pace mm. and, and sometimes we do make mistakes. Mm. Um, and it's a big thing to undertake, isn't it? To, mm. You know, some of us ha- might not have, have a lived experience mm. or are from the stolen generations or, yes, you know, yes. there, there is some complex things in there. Mm. But it is it doesn't take much to sort of have a conversation. And also I think the people that are programming or buying this art have to find a way to you know, ask questions as well. Totally. Do research, you know, know, um, really, you know, take a look at the stories, uh, you know, that that mob um, are telling and how that relates back to where they're from and their community and what they've been taught, uh, you know, growing up or how does that relate back to them as an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person and how does that make people really feel what 
they're producing as an artist, whether it's visually an artwork or whether it's something else creatively, um, because that's that's so important. That's mm. that's why we love the arts and that's why we love creatives. Definitely, and it is complex, like you said, but mm. uh, you know, that's what our culture is. It's complex and that's why we've survived for 65,000 plus years and that's why we're deadly. You're listening to The Black Yard and we'll be back after this break. The Black Yard would like to advise that the following advertisement contains the voices of people who have died. It's an injustice to have Australia's original inhabitants 13 times more likely to end up in prison. Mum should have never been arrested. Someone dies and there is no consequences. We know what needs to be done. Stop looking away. This is about a reckoning with the truth of our past. Incarceration Nation, Sunday, 29th of August, on NITV and On Demand. That's right, listeners. Make sure you tune in to NITV this Sunday night for Incarceration Nation. Luke, I know that you're a massive sports fan. Tell us a bit about the Olympics. How was it for you? Oh, I love my sports. Yes, you know that. Oh, I love that. And I love every type of sport. And the Olympics is just the pinnacle. You know, you can watch it 24-7, or I can anyway, and, and not get bored of it. And um, we had a record number of... Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander athletes compete in Tokyo, which is great to see. It's growing. And, you know, all the way from back when our first gold medalist, Nova Paris in hockey mm. in 1996 over there in Atlanta. Um, since then, we've we've come leaps and bounds and we're, we're representing on the on the global stage at the, the biggest sporting event in the world, the Olympic Games. And I just wanna, I'm just going to take my time, 16 nation, First Nations people, and I'm going to read them out now and just uh, – Give them a bit of air. and So we're starting a basketball. And, of course, the one and only Mr. Paddy Mills, who uh, helped the Boomers. He, I think he scored about 40-plus points in that bronze medal game against... Bronze uh, medal, Sir, yes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, a, a big shout-out to Paddy. And uh, we know how proud he is representing on the on the world stage. Uh, he's both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. So he's, he's mm-hmm. got the best of both worlds, their brother. So Paddy, uh, Paddy Mills was in the in the men's, the Boomers, and Lelani, Lelani Mitchell... Mm-hmm. was in the Opal, so we had two in the basketball. Deadly. Uh, two deadly, yes, I agree. Beach volleyball, our silver medalist, uh, Taliqua Clancy. Uh, fantastic. I watched her play against the US. In the, oh, I bet um, you final. did, brother. I bet you did. <laughs> I know a lot of a lot of our brothers that would have loved that beach volleyball. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> uh, they, <laughs> but, they, you know, they beat the number one team, uh, Canada, in the – in the semi-finals, I think it was, or the quarter-finals. Yeah, it was and, deadly. Oh, it was so good. But, you know, it's, they just uh, couldn't get the gold medal. But, you know, mm. winning the silver is just, you know, just, you know they, that's goes down in history now. First silver medalist in in um, an Aboriginal person in, in beach volleyball. So it's fantastic. Alex Winwood, young lad from um, WA. Now, you want to see, if you watched the opening ceremony, um I put up on my story that you would have seen. Uh, I saw a young fellow doing a shaker leg, walking out onto yes, the stadium. Yes, I did the see ground. that. That was him. That was Alex Winwood, uh, Noongar lad. Yeah, so uh, he represented us in boxing, and it was great to see him compete. And he's a little pocket rocket too. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Well, the Olympics has has a history of black black boxers, Australian boxers, um, black fellas competing. In, in fact, in well, who, who, 
Yep. In fact, I was um, chatting to the um, incredible Rhoda Roberts the other day, mm. and she was telling me that one of the first Olympians, Aboriginal Olympians, comes from this area, Bundjalung right. country, and he was a boxer. That's all I've got to add to the sport <laughs> <laughs> at this point. And I was yeah, waiting well. for it. I was, I'm sitting here looking across at Kirk and I'm going, he's not going to jump in on this yarn because he does not care. Well, I do care. I love watching athletes. You probably both know that. But I also don't have a television at the moment. I'm trying to be, you know, trying to be real namaste and... <laughs> <laughs> up there on the north coast, very yeah. number stay up around that way. Roses and crystals and sandals. But yeah, what was one I, of the highlights for you, Luke? What's uh, what was the one of the highlights during the the games? Oh, for me, look, I, I mean, it's a very popular highlight. But you know, seeing Patty Mills, mm. you know, being the, the flag bearer. I know it's not a flag that represents us as a people. And I'm, you know, we would rather it. A lot of Australians now these days too would rather a change to that flag, but you know what? I'd rather see him out there representing that, you know, waving that than not. You know, I um, I feel like he, it was a representation of what Australia is. Mm. You know, we have Paddy Mills, one of our most celebrated athletes. You know, he plays in the in the NBA. He plays against the likes of mm. LeBron James. He's won championships. He, yeah. He's playing a global sport in the best competition in the world. Well, that's it. So, I know, like you know. Lo- uh, Mob have their different views and opinions, but you can't take away from his athletic, uh, you know, success achievements and his ability and and what he what he stands for and how he uh, he you know. represents. He represents. Mm. You know, you can see that. You know, the Boomers when they got that uh, bronze medal, mm. he had the, uh, they draped not only the Australian flag but the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flag, and that's all Paddy. That's yeah. all Paddy. Yeah. You know, I mean, he represents. And when he was cho- chosen as the flag bearer, if you see his photo shoot. He had other two flags there with him. He's proud as punch, and nobody can doubt that. So to Deadly. see him walk out, no, no, I know he's he, in his heart. You know those two flags were wa- were waving very proudly yeah. when he walked out to that stadium during that opening ceremony. So that for me was a highlight, and also him winning and that that interview after the game, where he, I, I brought tears in my eyes. I'm getting goosebumps now when he said, "I just can't wait to get home and give that medal to my parents and hang in their room." You know, it's just bless. Yeah, his no, parents have been, yes, yeah, it's so good. So that was my highlight. Yeah. Um, but I'll continue with these. I want to give these, you know, these athletes the airtime. So I'll continue with our athletes. So Go hockey, we had Brooke, per- Brooke Paris and Mariah Williams. Uh, the girls did well. Uh, we had the 4x400-meter four four, uh, four relay participant in Angie Blackburn. That's right, yeah. Uh, yes, yes. So Didn't come away with a medal, but. No, but, um, you know, Sometimes just competing at the Olympics That's is a winner. Right. Uh, rugby the sevens. Uh, Moza Longbottom, Morris Longbottom from La Perouse. I know Moza very well. He's a little pocket rocket. And he I watched is, him yeah. Play at, I watched him play at the Commonwealth Games up on the Gold Coast a few years back. They need I, more I, black fellas in that sevens side, though, I reckon. There's still a lot, a lot of development to go with, with rugby sevens in Australia um, for our mob because I reckon in terms of the speed and the agility and, you know, being able to work that field, I reckon a lot of our mob would suit that game. Yes, most I agree with you. And, I and Kirk's like, looking I, at me like I'm like she's speaking <laughs> French or Cantonese. No, <laughs> no, I'm thinking about when you say rugby sevens. Mm. So how many in a team when it's just a normal rugby game? Well, fifteen. 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 Yeah. So it's half. Yeah. 
Mm. So it's a faster game. It's half. It's, it's, it's fast. very fast. It's very exciting game to watch. It's just pay. It's just up and back. It's and unfortunately we didn't medal um, over there. With yeah. The women's or well, got medalists in the women's team in uh, Rio, but we didn't medal. I think mm. the humidity must have got the best of them over there. It was pretty hot, and humid over in in Tokyo. Mm. Um, but Morris Longbottom and Dylan Peach was yes. also the other player for the rugby sevens. Um, and in Soccer or football, as it's known around the world. Kai Simon and Lydia Williams yeah, were our deadly. representatives there. Softball, Stacey Porter, who's been the backbone of Australian softball for so long. She has. And possi- possibly her last her last Olympic Games. So hopefully not, because the next Olympics is only three years away. Mm. So Stacey was in that. And Tani Steptoe was the other representative there. Tennis. Well, Ash Barty came away with a bronze. Yes, in the doubles, mixed Deadly. doubles, and uh, yes, she's there's a woman who needs no introduction whatsoever. And also weightlifting is uh, our last competitor was uh, Brandon Wakeling. Mm. So that so a big round of applause for our representatives over there, and uh, thank you for representing and making us That's all proud. Making a stop late to watch his play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's early right. morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like I said, I I, I caught a bit of bit of Olympics, you know, here and there. One thing I did catch was uh, the 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 synchronized swimming. Now, mm. I was nearly drowning myself just watching it. <laughs> um, I think, and 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 the one that I caught ended up, you know, trending, and I think it was uh, the the American team. Or something, and it was just epic. But I remember sitting there going, you know, I wouldn't have otherwise paid an interest to it. But when I did see it, I went, "Holy dooly! Like this ta- actually takes a lot of skill and a lot of uh, athletic uh, ability or ability, you know, to do this." So while I was, you know, have, <laughs> having a bit of a laugh, I couldn't even imagine myself doing it. But um, <laughs> just the creativity that goes into it. And you know, to be able to to deliver something like that was, you know, was was pretty deadly to watch. I mean, like I said, there's a few things uh, in the Olympics that I kind of go, oh, you know, I, don't, I still that don't. That you understand. don't like things that, that you don't like. Well, I just don't understand that's there. I think some of it is about getting a younger audience too, isn't that right? Like yeah. things like skateboarding and did you say table tennis and handball? Ta- well, there's there's handball. Right. So I'm like, mm, but you know. Hey, you would have been a gold medalist handball player in been. high school. I, I tell you what, I could, you know, I could go a few <laughs> rounds of handball and come out, in come out a park? winner. And I mean, look, let's be real. They're the type of sports that if I was going to be an Olympian, <laughs> 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 they're the type of sports that I would train for you, mob. Uh, handball, maybe a bit of archery, maybe a bit of, you know, I wouldn't say skateboarding, but hey, look, there's climbing. They had climbing. I didn't know that was an Olympic sport. BMX, BMX. BMX and surfing. I didn't know that was, you know, so, yeah, I kind of go trampolining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so each city can uh, nominate a couple of sports that they can bring into the Olympic Games for a couple of years. Oh, the hosts. The hosts of the Games. Yeah. And I heard heard Brisbane's bringing in uh, cane toad racing. So. Wow. That'd be that'd be right, but netball's not netball's not there. 
Well, it could be. I think that's what. And I know uh, that that's a hot happen in Brisbane. A hot yes. debate is netballing. So, if there's any other sport that I'd like to see, uh, you know, I fancied myself a netballer back in the days. Wouldn't be able to do it now. If I did, I'd need you know all the padding and all the and lycra. Yeah, let's uh, just not go there. Uh, <laughs> not about those lycra outfits, but look, I know we have um, a really great history of Aboriginal netballers, uh, and I think that the development that's happening in our communities with netball has been awesome over the past couple of years. Um, I'd really like to see netball in the next Olympics. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see uh, blackfellas in the swimming. That'd be fantastic. But it's like water and oil, I think. Blackfellas don't mix with the swimming pool, do we? <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's like we're all we all land we're all land athletes. <laughs> Once we hit the water, we're just yeah, we sort of yeah. Well, I always but, um, say I don't run unless I'm running away from something or running to someone. So there you go. Oh, look at that's out. my level of athletic ability at the moment. <laughs> Got to be motivated. Got to be some motivation. Yeah. Oh, look. Well, I'll, I'll quickly I'll quickly throw in. Um, you wanted me another highlight. I just want to quickly say because it was just. I couldn't believe the performance by it. It was a young Chinese diver. She's a superstar called Quan Hong Chen. Mm. She's 14 years of age, and she she was doing the 10-meter platform against Australia's Melissa Wu, who got the bronze in that event. Yeah, uh, she was she was tiny. She's 14 years of age. She she did three perfect 10 dives in her performance to win the gold medal. I watched it. If you look, want to see perfection, try to get a replay of it. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, if you could even think, of, think about going up on a 10-meter platform, let alone doing a perfect 10 each time or three times. Yeah, it's mm. incredible. She was just amazing. And she was tiny. It was quite incredible. So that was another big highlight, Kirk. Yeah, and I can imagine that there's a lot of pressure. I mean, I don't know how... You know, we kind of experience pressure in our daily lives mm. in a way, depending whatever it is, whether it's parenting or just turning up to work or <laughs> homeschooling, homeschooling, dealing with family. <laughs> um, I just wanted to reflect a little bit on something that came up for me last week. I, I've been working on a project with some incredible artists and, you know, we're moving at our own pace. Mm. Um the, the project has elements, it's an intercultural work, which means that there's a, a beautiful Javanese Australian uh, dancer and myself who are working on it. We're creating the show and then we're engaging some sound design people who are, they're both from Melbourne actually. And we were having a conversation. So all of the work, we were working on it last week. And so COVID happened and we were all working from home. So we we're having a conversation and this thing came up around, you know, we're all feeling a little bit overwhelmed, like the developing the project and trying to find, you know, how do we, you know, refine or distilling down all of the ideas and then just feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And one of the sound designers said to me, well, I think we have to think about, you know, a strengths-based approach. Mm. And I went, I don't, what does that mean? Mm. And so I just said, just talk a little bit more about what is a strength-based approach. And she said, well, it's about just sort of knowing where your strengths or skills or what you're good at, I had to say to explain it to a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, you know, working from your own skill set, and what it did was made me feel like this something just opened and changed to go, oh, this sort of key to confidence mm. wherever you are or whatever you're doing, namely, say, you know, 
doing a project that can have a lot of pressure, mm. um, just to be reminded that if we are working from a strength-based place, that we do have the answers and we can achieve things, you know, because I think often we, I know that I do, I have this experience of being in deficit sometimes and mm. feeling like, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, or, you know, my body's very different to what it was 25 <laughs> years ago, you know, coming from a performance, physical performance sort of background. So I just wanted to throw it into the <laughs> yeah. circle, this yeah. thing around strength-based approach and what does that mean to you and if there's any sort of experiences you want to share mm. when that's sort of come up for you and, you know. And it's about the individual, right? Yeah. 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 So I think it's about being just so sure of who you are, um, how you work or, or what I guess you want uh, to achieve through your work and uh, using that as your foundations or your focal point to then deliver. Um, and I think, you know, I often talk about our younger kids or our youth, young ones, um, being so sure of who they are so that if somebody says no, they're going to do it anyway, right? Mm. Um, so so for me, I think it, it, it's just about that is just being – um, really sure and confident in what I stand for, what it is I want to do, whether it's in my work, for my community, you know, for my family, uh, for myself, um, and then using that as the foundation or that, that focal point to then deliver on what I need to do. I don't know if that makes sense. What about you, Luke? I couldn't agree strongly with it, Nay. Mm. I think it comes from... That's a great base to have, you know. If you're confident in what you're doing and who you are and what you know where you're going, um, I think that's a great way to sort of approach it. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. And knowing how you how you work, yeah, I guess. And um, and I know you and I have had conversations before about, um, you know, we're both Capricorns. Uh, we both bounce off each other a lot, Kirk. Yeah. Uh, we both just get each other. And I think that comes back to who we are as individuals and the similarities that we have and then how that um, that affects our work and how we work together. Um, and we've talked about, you know, things like, um, you know, people do things like Myers-Briggs testing and, and I had this experience, which is a whole other podcast yarn around determining what kind of animal you are, good ways, um, and then how, you know, the personality of that particular animal then, oh, you know, yes. determines how you work with other people. Mm. Uh, look, like I said, total other yarn for another time. But, you know, like you said, Luke, as well, is, um, you know, just knowing who you are, knowing how you work. Yeah. And... If you're confident in that and people are confident in that, then it kind of makes for a better flow. Yeah. And it just what it, what it did, just bringing that up and you saying it now, is like when you say being reminded of who you are, mm. it's like just to take a moment and go, oh, that's right. Mm. I have done some great things. I have done some great things um, and achieved against – Odds, you know, yeah, so just absolutely. to be reminded when, you know, there's a sense of overwhelm or a sense of oh, tiredness or just, you know, it's tough some days. And how much more so during a pandemic? It's amplified. Just totally amplified. And I think, you know, um, if anything, whether it's through this podcast, through this conversation, 
you know, through our interactions with people online or checking in on everybody, uh, you know, where we can is, you know, having those conversations around, you know what, it's okay to be overwhelmed Mm. and it's okay um, to sit down and talk about, well, you know, what are you struggling with today? Because it absolutely is amplified and we we all still have to go about our daily routines and and business, um, though it has changed, you know, uh, with working from home or, or schooling from home or whatever it is, um, you know, we still have to get about life in in the best way that we can. But if we have a better understanding about how to navigate that yeah. and kind of be a bit real about it, and, um, you know, then I think we're not setting ourselves up to, to kind of go, um, well, we're going to be okay because sometimes we're not. And, and, and the people who are really good at being okay I can guarantee you that during this time, they're the ones that that would probably struggle the most because it's just, it's like being hit in the face with a, you know, baseball bat and your whole, Mm. you know, daily routine and world has changed. But, you know, I hope everybody's doing okay out there, Uh, you know, to our communities out West uh, who are really, I guess, um, really feeling uh, the pandemic at the moment, Um, communities of Gaduga, Dubbo, Wilcannia, Walgett, Burke, Gilganja, Broken Hill, all you mob out there. Uh, we hope that everybody is doing the best that they can to stay safe and stay well. We know that there's a lot of social media campaigns going around about um, the importance of protecting our elders and our older ones. Uh, and, and we know that also, shout out to our Aboriginal medical services um, around the state and around the country, uh, but particularly around the New South Wales state that are working around the clock to support our community locally in their areas. So, um, you know, as always, regardless of how you personally feel about the pandemic, uh, there's information out there should you wish to seek further uh, assistance um, and support. And a lot of that can be found at our Aboriginal Medical Services. So please contact the mob there, go in and have a yarn, uh, make choices that that you feel are right for you, um, you know, and keep our community safe. Yeah. And as always, thanks for joining us today. It's been a really wonderful conversation. Uh, and we look forward to uh, seeing you next time. It's only our second our second show, so you know, bear with us as we as we try and get comfortable in this space. But uh, you know, we hope that those who have been listening to us have had a bit of a laugh along the way, and have enjoyed the yarns that we've had because we've certainly enjoyed coming together. And um, again, shout out to Luke. Uh, you know, having to phone in can't be around the table here with us. So we really appreciate uh, you know you joining us in the, in the way that you can, brother. Much love to you, Mob, and to all the Mob around the state. And yes, Ep 2 sealed in the bag, and we'll be back bigger, blacker, and better next week. And <laughs> into semi final, I'll, I'll be talking about it in particular. I'm a big sports nut, as you know. Yes. Semi final football, AFL, and NRL. And I'm hopeful of maybe getting a special guest to have a chat, uh, two special guests, hopefully, about the AFL semi finals and the, the NRL semi finals. So stay tuned, you Mob. Deadly. Thanks for listening to the Blackyard Podcast. Join us in a fortnight for the next episode of the Blackyard. Make sure you press the subscribe button for the latest Blackyard Podcast. You can find all of our social media and website information in the show description. The Kroomau newspaper is the voice of Indigenous Australia. 100% Aboriginal owned and operated. To subscribe, visit creamout.com.